With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. What a weekend for Antonio Conte and his Tottenham team. 5-1 winners against Newcastle United on Sunday and then Arsenal went and lost 3-0 against Crystal Palace on Monday evening. Joining me as ever, Alistair Gold. Ali, I didn't see you until the press conference on Sunday against Newcastle. You weren't sat next to me in the press box, but you were at the game. How was your experience? <laughs> that sounds really iffy, doesn't it? Sounds like we had some big bust up before the game and I stormed out and like... Watch the game from uh, like one of the the <laughs> kind of rooms in the back of the stadium somewhere. Um, yeah, what guest is kind of referring to is there is that I was conducting a review of the very posh uh, exclusive members club within the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium called the H Club. Um, I kind of I got to have dinner in there. Got to take my my wife and two daughters, which they absolutely adored. It, it was like their first experience of a Premier League game, which. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> wasn't too shabby an experience. Um, yeah, the H Club for lunch and then headed off to our own kind of private loge, which is like a, a luxury booth. Um, and then kind of had our seats um, out, to, out to watch the game. So, yeah, it was awesome. Let's be honest, you know, it's it's totally with a, a beyond the realms of my imagination or budget of anything that I could ever, you know, afford to watch a, a game. Um, I think it's something like about 30-something. I can't remember the exact figures. I wrote it. I did a big piece on it. If you want to read it, it's on London. a big review. It's something like a 30 grand membership fee just to have just to have the ability to be able to buy two seats. And then those seats are 15 grand a pop each. So you're looking at 45 grand just as a startup, and you've got to buy um three five-year or ten-year packages so yeah i mean i couldn't even afford it for you know one game let alone anything else so yeah it was very cool to be able to do the review uh very much you know as i put in my review i grew up as a spurs fan going with my dad going and grabbing a greasy full english breakfast at the cafe on white art lane before heading across the road to the stadium so for me this was just yeah just to see how the other world lives, you know, those who earn the, the big bucks. Um, but it was great. It was a great experience. Um, fantastic place. You can see Spurs are leading the way in that sort of stuff, this premium area stuff, because that was just, that's the pinnacle, the H Club. You know, and then they have all these very different kind of, um, kind of rungs on the ladder almost of different experiences you can have. And actually the one at the bottom you know, I, I joke about the incredible amounts that you spend, but looking at the prices, I don't think, excuse me, it's that big a bump up on a normal season ticket. I mean, you're not talking like a huge amount. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was about a third extra on top to kind of be able to have your own area and all this sort of stuff and food and drinks and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, to be fair, they cater to all, kind of different size wallets and purses, I guess. Um, but no, it was very cool. And, 
you know, we only had a couple of seats away with Sir Kenneth Branagh, which is like, which is ridiculous. You know, Oscar winner one weekend, the next weekend sitting next to the Gold family. I mean, <laughs> his life clearly had gone downhill in last week. But um, no, and he, and he, I mean, just just a little note on him. The guy is like probably the most passionate Spurs fan I've ever seen. Honestly, he doesn't. He just didn't stop shouting and chanting and. And you, I think that's what you think when you go into these areas. Maybe I, I don't know, because I'm used to either sitting among the fans or obviously in the press box. We're used to, we kind of maybe think like, oh, you know, the posh seats, they're all going to be all like eating their prawn sandwiches and not even watching the game. But I tell you, where we were in, it, they were, it were proper Spurs fans. They were loud, they were noisy. And like I say, Sir Kenneth was uh, probably the loudest of the lot and uh, – Absolutely made my daughter's the youngest daughter's day because she's a big Harry Potter fan and he's in that and he like said goodbye to them as he was leaving. Very very nice guy. Um, so yeah yeah and no, I'm sorry I didn't get to sit next to you until the press conference, but uh, it was a uh, it was for a special occasion. It was for a one off and it was one of those where obviously I was going in and write an objective review and it's like what <laughs> I couldn't find any negatives because. Quite frankly, when you're spending that sort of money, you shouldn't be finding negatives anyway. It's just ridiculous. You've got your own server at your table pretty much all the time. As soon as you even look up, they're there like, can I get you anything? And it's, uh, you know, we're just not used to that. Heated seats in the stadium. I have made a request for that for the press box. I think we definitely God, need those God. for the winter months. Um, but, yeah, so that was the reason I wasn't there. Got to see all the other areas, like the tunnel club that looks very cool as well. Um with the sinks right behind Antonio Conte's dugout. So I might try trying to get in there at some point and then have a little look at those seats and sit there if they let me. Um, but yeah, no, so sorry I wasn't alongside you, but what a weekend. I had to explain to my my you know wife and, and daughters that, you know, not every weekend you're going to go to Spurs and they win 5-1. Um, you get like ridiculous luxury food and drink and you sit next to an Oscar winner. Oh, and then after that, every other team around Spurs also happens to mess things up. It was, you know, I know the expression, and they are not endorsing this podcast, but if Carlsberg did weekends, that was pretty much the best possible weekend for Tottenham Hotspur. Well, I'm glad you had a good time because I enjoyed <laughs> myself as well, next to Jonathan Veal in, uh, in the press box, sat in your seat. So, uh, yeah, I mean, great day all in all. 5-1 winners over Newcastle. Bit of a slow start from Spurs, really. They had a few openings, but Martin Dubravkin, the Newcastle goal, really didn't have much to do. And then Newcastle had looked dangerous on a couple of occasions. I think Joe Willock had a really good chance. Christian Romero, fantastic tackle. I think that was midway through the first yeah. half. We will go on to Romero in a bit because he deserves so much praise. But then Newcastle opened the scoring from uh, Fabian Share with a free kick. Thankfully, Spurs weren't behind long. Ben Davis, brilliant header from a Son Cross. Uh, big, big goal. Uh, big time as well. I mean, it's the ideal time to score, isn't it? Just before half-time, that really turned the game on its head. Then there was only going to be one winner in the second half once Matt Doherty scored. Further goals from Son, Emerson Royale, and then Stephen Bergwijn with a really well-taken goal at the end made it a very, very good day for Spurs. And... You know, they're just hitting the form at exactly the right time in the season. Uh, obviously, from your seat, different one to where you usually <laughs> sit. Uh, what did you make of it all? Yeah, it was um, it was superb. It's it's one of those games where it started off, and I'd say for the first, what, 25 minutes, maybe half an hour, 
you kind of almost start to think, oh, it's going to be one of those days where a team stays compact, they can't break them down. And, you know, we've seen this before with Newcastle going and nicking like a 1-0 win at Spurs. Um, and it could have gone that way, but in a weird way, Newcastle's goal, which I think was their only shot on target in the entire match, it woke up Spurs. It kind of, it kind of, I don't know, but in a weird way, and I think Eddie Howe mentioned this after the game, it almost woke up Newcastle too much. They, after that, started to maybe get slightly more expansive in their play and just just essentially threw themselves upon the sword of Tottenham. You know, it was like, what are you doing kind of thing? I mean, Ben Davies scoring that goal, it was, that's what, that's the character you want. That's what you want to see from Tottenham. It was a crucial moment. As soon as they did that, you know, any team that essentially comes to, well, let's say a big team or a team with top four ambitions and they sit deep, take the goal or get the goal and then are immediately hit back. It's like a slap down, isn't it? It's essentially saying, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do, we're still going to score straight away. And that's not something Tottenham have always done. And I think to do that, it really did knock the confidence of Newcastle. And yeah, they felt like they had to come out rather than sit and try and take a point or something. Um, and Spurs exploited them ruthlessly. The whole mood around Tottenham is so different now. It just, just shows you what, well, three wins in a row, five out of their last six, just what it can do in the Premier League. And, I mean, I mean, we were looking at some of the stats, weren't we? It's just ridiculous. Um, so, obviously, the goal difference. They've gone from a minus two goal difference to a plus 15. Just on Arsenal alone after last night, it's like a seven-goal swing, isn't it, in one weekend, which is – that could be so big come the end of the season. You know, you don't know – we hope it will at least remain tight in terms of Tottenham being up there. But, yeah, and I mean, think back to Nuno days. And we're talking – we were lucky when a shot on target or a shot on goal was like a, a big deal. And now, you know, Spurs in the last six games scored 21 goals. 2022 alone has scored 29 goals, which is more than anyone else in the Premier League. On Sunday afternoon, 19 shots at uh, Newcastle's goal. It's just like everything's starting to click and and just all the elements of Conte's system are now starting to flourish. We're seeing, this is what I, I said to him after the game, it's like you can see your Tottenham, can't you now? And it's like the wing-backs contributing. The wing-backs who, when they're defending, yeah, it's a five at the back. But the beauty of Conte's wing-backs is that when Spurs are attacking, it's at five at the front. You know, you've got the three in the middle and the wing-backs, and it is so dangerous. And you've got Benton Kerr and Hoybier recycling the ball so quickly and getting the teams forward. And, of course, Harry Kane, just playmaker extraordinaire nowadays. So um, I know we're going to get onto a lot of those individuals. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a terrific day. It was... One of those days when the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was just rocking from start to finish. It was almost like a carnival atmosphere. Even I'd say in that little half, that half hour period at the start where it was a bit sticky, the fans were still, it kind of felt they had a belief about it. And I think that comes from Conte and the the connection he's got with the fans now is just, he's constantly, they're singing his name, he's clapping them back, he's punching his fists at them. And yeah, what a, what an afternoon. Yeah, as, as you mentioned earlier, obviously Newcastle prior to Sunday's game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium had won on the first visit there, a 1-0 win uh, right at the end of Pochettino's reign as Tottenham manager. And then last season there was that controversial penalty decision, wasn't there, where uh, yes. Newcastle equalised last minute with the penalty. And 
you know, around like the 25 minute, 30 minute mark, you just, as you said, you're thinking it's going to be one of these days. And then second half, it was like chalk and cheese, really. Spurs are the free flowing best. Uh, I've not seen them play so well for quite some time. Obviously, they've done well at Leeds, played well against Everton, but it was just like they looked like they were going to score at every opportunity. Kane was just spraying the ball about. Yeah, they did get four goals in the second half, but they could have had a number uh, of others. Uh, Son had a good chance. Stephen Bergwijn, literally like a minute after coming on and scoring, inches away with a dipping volley, reminiscent of Jamie Vardy's goal for Leicester against Liverpool in their title-winning season, really. Are you going to go proper Dutch there, you know? Nah. No, it was more like Vardy's, but I mean, you can go with the Van, da- Van Basten comparison. <laughs> it wasn't quite as wide as Van Basten, no. but yeah, no, I know what you mean. But yeah, the the chances were there and everything is just clicking into place for Spurs. I said it on the podcast there uh, a couple back. For me, March is the most important month of the season because you can really set yourself up for the final month yeah. if you can, you know, get your wins and Spurs are motoring now. and. As in the past when obviously Sir Alex Ferguson was Manchester United manager, when they were in the title race, sometimes they might have been behind. Come March, they got things together and then come April, went up a gear or two and just ran away with it. And Spurs yeah, at the moment, uh, yeah, definitely. Everything has just fallen into place. It's been, it's been some tough moments uh, during his reign so far, especially the first few months of 2022. Some of the performances were bad. The Chelsea games, Burnley away, Middlesbrough in the cup. But everything just seems to have, you know, clicked. And it only bodes well for Spurs now of the remaining months of the season. They're just oozing confidence at the moment and they'll be going into every game now expecting uh, to get three points. They've got Liverpool in May. Liverpool will need those three points uh, in their title challenge against Man City. In current form, you'd fancy Spurs to pick up a point at the very least at Anfield, the way things are going. But at the moment, it's just about carrying on that momentum and making One sure it carries on. This is yeah. <laughs> but what, three successive wins in the Premier League, five from the last six, things are looking good. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I saw, I obviously watched the, um, the Arsenal Palace game last night and I was quite interested because I found it interesting even that I think Jamie Carragher said afterwards it's still in Arsenal's hands. It's like, no, it's actually not now. It's it's really in top. I mean, unless Arsenal would have gone on a ridiculous goal spree and then goal difference swung back the other way, it's in Tottenham's hands now. It's, you know, Tottenham are in the driving seat because of that North London derby being at Spurs as well. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's... <laughs> It's going to be fascinating to see what happens next. I do. I think you made a great point about March. I do think that is the Conte effect. I think this is a man who knows kind of what you need to do at these parts of the season and, and kind of he eats the pressure for breakfast in a way. And and obviously, you can't look past the, the January deal for Kulusevski and Bentenko, which is now, that could be the difference in the top four. You know, it really could. Those two guys to have come in and, you know, I said today and I did a piece about Bentenko and it's a bit like, this will probably go over your head because of the movie reference in it. But, you know, Tom Cruise's Jerry Maguire tells Renny Zellinger's character, you know, you complete me. And it's exactly what Benton Kerr and Kulisevsky have done to this Tottenham team because it's like two really important players down the spine of the team almost that needed to be there. 
um, and also come with that experience. You had a Benton Cousa, three-time Serie A winner, twice um, Argentina title winner. It's a guy that knows over the course of a season what needs to be done and when. Um, and you just even at 24, you cannot, you can't, I was about to say you can't buy that experience, but essentially Tottenham had <laughs> bought him with that experience. And uh, you can see it out there on the pitch. And uh, it's really exciting right now. It is Tottenham, so we can't get too excited. They could quite easily go to Villa, and Villa could put in a probably an overdue really good performance this weekend. Um, and it could all switch back around again. I think Arsenal got Brighton at home, haven't they? And Brighton are struggling. So we can't get too carried away, but we can certainly enjoy what feels like a real purple patch of form again for Tottenham. And, and like you say, they're going into every game and looking like they could score a hatful. I mean, you know, against Everton, could have been 10-0, you know. It's, it's, uh, all right, all right. <laughs> but no, no, the jokes aside, they are, they're flying. And, and yes, uh, sorry, Sunday, five different goal scorers, five different assist makers. It's like, it just shows you, they're sharing it around the team as well. And on Sunday... Harry Kane not on the scar sheet. Yeah. You, you just seem crazy. You'd, if someone said that to you before the game, Spurs would score five. There'd be five different scorers and Kane wouldn't be one of them. You'd be questioning people, but he might not have been on the scar sheet, but he was in top form once again. Really, really good ball into the box for Matt Doherty uh, to head home. Second half, some of the balls he were playing out wide, Son and others at times, absolutely sensational. He's in such good form at the minute and I think it was David Ginola comparing him to Maradona on Sky's coverage after the game uh, yeah he's he's just been sensational at the minute had such a slow start to the season but since January February time he's really kicked on and you know he's gonna be kicking uh, he's dragging Tottenham kicking and screaming to fourth hopefully he's been pivotal in recent weeks hasn't he Oh, he has. He has. I mean, I've made this, I think I've made this comparison before, but I know Harry Kane's idol is Tom Brady, you know, um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, legendary NFL star. Who's, and, and I think, I almost feel like Kane is playing as a, a quarterback now and he's looking for the wide receivers out either side, whether it be a, a wing back or Sonny or Kulisewski. And he's just pinging these cross field balls to them. And he's finding them almost every time. There was, um, I think it was match of the day or match of the day two showed a little compilation of some of his balls. And there was one ball, I cannot remember where it was. I think it might have been to Son, which I don't, it didn't result in a goal. I think it resulted maybe a chance for Kulisevsky, but just the the degree that he had to hit the ball with the right amount of backspin. And it was just, it's just, you know, ridiculous. It really is. And, and he's, I mean, I know Conte said after the game, he went up to him and, and you can actually see it on Conte cam, which I watched earlier. You can see him go up to Kane and say something in his ear. And we know what he said was, you know, I just the only thing I'm disappointed is that you didn't score because you were amazing today and it was just what you deserved. Um, the ball for for Doherty's goal is just so one of those dangerous teasing. You know, Son could have knocked that in. Doherty could have knocked that. In. It was one of those where there was no good thing, and we've seen him do it so many times. He's probably had a hatful of assists this season for own goals that have come because of balls he's put into the box, like at West Ham with Zuma. Um, he just he looks so confident in what he's doing. And I think Conte said, I can't remember if it was ahead of, I think it was just ahead of the game. Um, I was just saying that he's, he feels like 
Kane is satisfied at the moment. And, you know, he feels like the system works for him. And, and of course, you know, we spoke about Nuno's Tottenham. Kane... Kane was coming back. Of course, Kane was having some issues himself anyway at that point in terms of settling back in after that messy summer. But it would also didn't help him that he was playing in a team that was creating nothing. And even when he was coming deep, there was no one really making the runs for him to properly pass to either. And now he's in a team where everything kind of can revolve around him as well. And uh, uh, he, he was excellent. It's um, Matt Doherty after the game said he's he thinks he's the best Strike best goal score, sorry, best finisher and best passer in the Premier League right now. He actually said, I think he's the best player in the Premier League right now. And you know, I don't know when the voting begins for like these seasonal awards. It's it's a funny one. Sometimes like in January, sometimes it's it's earlier. But you look at Harry Kane, he's got to be up there. I'm sure someone like probably Salah will win it, especially if Liverpool go and win the title. But you look at Harry Kane doing it in a team that is not right up there, bang at the top of the table. And he is. He's, he's incredible. He's an absolutely incredible player. I'm just trying to look and see what the things that Conte said as well. That was it. Conte made that point about, and, you know, you can apply this to any player you want that you might have been talking about. He says, you know, normally, he said he's a, he's a deserves the best because he's a great worker, a hard worker, and this isn't normal. Normally, the player that has talent doesn't like to work hard. In my career, I didn't have a great talent. For this reason, I worked hard. What I like about him is he's a big example for his teammates. And that's what it is. He does. You see him out there. And it's no coincidence. He's so much fitter now. And, and that's playing a part. I watched him. Um, I don't know if I said this in the last one. Watched him in the England game. And his neck, it looks like he's lost loads of weight. And it's not saying he was some big fat guy or something before. But it's just now he looks so lean, like a lean, mean fighting machine. Kind of thing. He's just, it's, it's like, it feels like a player at his peak. And I just hope he sticks around. You know, Conte spoke about he wants him to continue with this. And I, I think hopefully that was a, a little kind of a nod towards next season as well. Because if Spurs have got Kane and Conte together next season, who knows what they can achieve, honestly. They've got to be backed. But even without backing, and that's not me saying there shouldn't be because there should be lots of backing. <laughs> we want lots of backing. But even without that, this team is going to evolve from what it is right now alone. And that's really exciting by itself. But yeah, put that together with some backing and Spurs could have a terrific next season. Yeah, definitely. I didn't, like you said, if he carries on his current form, surely he's got to be in the running for the player of the year. It was Kevin De Bruyne who won it last year. Mm. I think he won it the previous year as well. And for me, last year, De Bruyne wasn't up to his usual high standards, even though City won the league. And well, Kane, Kane won Golden Boot and Playmaker. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Surely Kane should have won it last season. But yeah, you'd imagine it will be Salah who will probably come out with it this year. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely got to be in the running. I'm not sure on the voting, so I think previously it was like January, February time, but surely you can do it electronically now. You can just leave it right until the end and surely just you vote think? that way. I know Ballon, Ballon d'Or's just changed, hasn't it? I think that's now right. a season rather than a year, a calendar year or something like that. Because they, I think there was a bit of an outcry, wasn't yeah. there? And Lewandowski didn't get it. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But Harry Kane deserves something. <laughs> and hopefully hopefully it's an award and a top four spot. Because, uh, and the, I mean, 
I don't know if he's going to get the golden boot this year. I mean, Sonny could be on a chance. Sonny goes on a bit of a burst and keeps scoring. He could, but uh, <clears throat> I wonder if Kane could pick up the playmaker award again the way he's going. Maybe. Certainly wouldn't wouldn't rule it out with eight games to go. Uh, let's talk about another attacker who had a good day, uh, Stephen Bergwijn. Early on the pitch for about oh, 10 minutes or so, uh, brought on... Scored what about a minute after coming on, something like that. Lucas played him through. He netted. He's, I mean, he's in confident form at the minute after three goals for Netherlands in two uh, games during the international break. He just didn't look like missing that chance. And then, as I said earlier, not far away as well with that dip in volley. And you watched Conte camp this morning. And yeah. I think you want to talk about Conte's facial expression when uh, Lucas played Bergwijn through. Yeah, because, you know, we spoke about at a great weekend for Spurs, but like you say, Bergwijn's had a brilliant fortnight. It's been exactly what he needed. And to be honest, there was a bit of, um, how do I put this? Twitter wasn't a, gr- a very happy place when Lucas came off the bench first. And I understood what they meant because I did feel for Steven Bergwijn. You kind of think, well, what else has he got to do? to be able to come on first as the first sub. You know, he's had an incredible time away. But yeah, what I liked was that watching Conte before, because it was quite clever about the Conte cam thing that Spurs put out, is that obviously they sync it up with the action, which is in the corner, and you can see what's actually happening on the pitch. And Conte, as soon as the ball, because Lucas, I think we may be a a little generous if we say it's a pass. He kind of is trying to run through and he gets tackled, but he manages to get a foot to the ball and it kind of goes through to Bergwijn. So it's an assist. It's absolutely is an assist, I think, which is which is good for Lucas's stats. Um, but yeah, the moment that ball breaks to Bergwijn, you can see Conte on the bench is smiling and he's pointing back at the bench as if to say, look at this, watch this, watch this, watch this. And he just runs through. And obviously he knew that, that Stephen Bergwijn is so full of confidence there was only one place that ball was ending up, and it was in the net. And you even see behind him, Sonny, who I thought had another terrific game as well. Sonny behind Steven Bergwijn is doing the biggest smile before Bergwijn shoots because he knows as well this is going to be a goal. Um, and it was. It was such a clinical, lovely, low finish. It's a man who's absolutely bang on at the moment. And, yeah, if he doesn't come off the bench first, in, you know, at Aston Villa, I don't know what more he can do. I just don't. Someone else who was on the score sheet, we've already mentioned him, Matt Doherty. Uh, I think fans were a bit disappointed in terms of the starting 11 uh, with Sergio Reguilón missing out with a knee injury. That subsequently saw Emerson Royale coming at right back, Matt Doherty switching across to the left. I think some fans were pointing out that maybe you leave Doherty in his preferred position on the right, move Ben Davis to left wing back and then bring Joe Roden in after such yeah. a good week on Wales international duty. And during the first half, Tottenham's play was certainly a bit lopsided. It was either through the middle or the right because we've seen it before when Doherty's played on the left. All he'll do is he won't attack down the left. He'll just try cut inside and whip it in on his strongest foot. But things changed in the second half. He got into a really good position to nod in that Harry Kane cross. And then, obviously, a bit of magic in the box, cut inside onto his right, then uh, landed perfectly, really, for Emerson to uh, prod the ball home. So, Doherty, were you impressed with his performance on the left, despite the first half struggles? 
Well, yeah, I think that's the key thing, is that he learned to adapt and manage the position. Um, first half was probably more about his defending. I think I wrote in my half-time thoughts that now he needs to work out how to make an impact because he is cutting in too much. And, you know, it gave Spurs kind of inverted wingers in a way because obviously Kulisewski does like to shift it onto his left foot as well. So they were coming in a little bit. But what I thought both did very well, um, and Emerson as well, uh, as the game wore on, was that Conte demands that they come in at the back post whenever there's a, a cross coming in. And that's what he did absolutely perfectly. And really weirdly, actually, the Premier League, I've got to check this out, but a lot of people saying the Premier League haven't actually given Doherty an assist for the Emerson goal. And I can't for the life of me work out why. Because why it's, a, it's a very simple cross. I don't know whether this is a fancy football thing that it, it's turned up that he hasn't given it in there. I'll maybe have a look in the mo, but... Yeah, I don't understand that either because I thought he had another very good game, another a good, a terrific header. It's quite a difficult, stooping, improvised kind of diving header as well. Um, and yeah, the the play for Emerson's goal was showed his confidence. You know, he, he never looked like he was going to lose the ball. He was turning the man inside out, um, and I just love it because we've had a couple of interviews with Matt Doherty. Matt Doherty did ahead of the game spoke to a few of the newspapers and it was printed on the morning of the game, which is some really nice stuff if you haven't read it. I read it in the Daily Mail and he was talking about um, like his lowest moment at Tottenham was when Jose Mourinho didn't even select him in the squad but named as part of the travelling party as like the um, the extra man. But because of COVID rules back then, he wasn't even allowed off the coach. He had to sit on the coach until all of the players had gone then he had to go and like be taken up to the stands separately. And they would named Alfie Devine on the bench and Dane Scarlett. So it was like 16-year-olds on the bench. Um, and it was just like a real low point. He knew he was kind of wasn't going anywhere. But to be fair to him, he didn't, uh, he didn't give up. And he kept knuckling down. He said, my only thought was if I just keep training hard. And he admitted, he, you know, he was having chances, but he wasn't taking them in matches. He wasn't playing particularly well. He wasn't in his best position. We know that. But... He's quite honest about his own form. And then I think I think he said it, I don't know if it was before the game or after, because he also did an interview after the game, which we put out. Um, but it just clicked with Conte. Conte, I think it was after the Leeds game, just started to trust him. And even he said, even on the games where I maybe wasn't up to the performance of the other games, I've kept my place. And he said, and that's had a big impact on me. And you can see, you know, I looked, I think he's had five goal involvements in six matches. Matt Doherty, but that's that's what Spurs bought him for. That's the Wolves Matt Doherty that they were getting in the first place. Um, and I'm so happy for him because he comes across as such a good guy. All the players love him. You'll see that. All the players are so made up for him that he's now getting kind of what he deserves. And and who knows what comes next to Matt Doherty because if he keeps going like this, you don't dislodge him as Spurs wing back because right wing back because he's bringing you everything you need. Um, yeah, yeah. So happy for him. And uh, and uh, I love the fact that uh, Conte calls him Matthew as well. I don't know why. I just <laughs> found that really funny. It's like some kind of school kid that the teachers talk about Matthew. Um, yeah, that's, it's great. And uh, yeah, obviously we've got to mention Emerson as well. I thought Emerson, first half was very similar in that it was kind of a bit like the old Emerson. He was trying thing. It gets to a certain point in the pitch and you can tell it's a bit like a deer in headlights. He's been like, I don't know what to do now. Who do I pass to? What do I do? I'm, I'm not sure about how to do this attacking lock. Um, 
But then I think as the second half got on, he was really involved in stuff. There was a lovely little back heel to Kane during one move, I remember. Um, and of course, you know, getting in there to toe poke home Doherty's cross. I have no idea why he was that central. It was like Kane was behind him. You know, Kane, <laughs> Kane was behind him and Emerson was the striker. But fair play, fair play. Put it in the net. And uh, again, if you're working hard behind the scenes, you get your rewards. So, uh, yeah, no, good stuff from the wing-backs again. Sergio Reguilón uh, did the interview in the programme ahead yeah. of Sunday's game, and he was talking about his transition moving to a left wing-back rather than being the left-back as he's played his uh, whole career. What he mentioned about the wing-backs is, because he's been in recent weeks against Brighton, West Ham notably, he's had good chances to score, but he's not taking them. And what he said is, Conte doesn't really have a problem if the wing-backs aren't taking the chances and scoring. What he does have a problem with, though, is if they're not in the correct positions to you know, put the ball in and create the chances or they're not in the positions to score. So I think that's why you're seeing Emerson and Doherty in the box a lot more. And on Doherty as well, uh, Ben Davis spoke to Spurs TV after the game and he was full of praise for him. He was saying basically everyone's just so pleased uh, because he'd not really had a run in the team until Conte had come in. And he did also say that Doherty, if he can continue, you know, registering goals and providing assists, then he's got a massive role to play for Spurs between now and the end of the season. So great to see uh, Matthew in the team and uh, doing well. And I think he's just always just needed a run in the team. It must be so hard to go into a team and not play in the position you used to, because uh, he's always played as a wing back in Spurs under Nuno. And then Jose was a right back. And then if you struggle, you're immediately out the game. So you just know rhythm or anything. But now we're starting to see why he was brought to club and the form he, you know, was showing week in, week out at Wolves. Uh, in recent seasons so good to see him uh, performing well sticking with the defence I think the whole back three deserve praise at present everything there's been a lot said about Tottenham's attacking three of Harry Kane Son Heung-min and Dan Kulisewski for me the back three is just as important at the minute Ben Davis really really good game uh, against Newcastle Scott, a very important goal, a goal which could be potentially pivotal come the end of the season. Uh, Eric Dyer, steady as usual at the back. Spurs have looked so much better for having him in the team over the past month or so since he returned from injury. And then Christian Romero, uh, defensive masterclass, I think uh, we've got to say, on Sunday against Newcastle. Up against Alan uh, St. Maximan, really tricky player, causes havoc for uh, his opponents usually barely got a kick against Romero Romero like he did against Mikel Antonio when they played West Ham before the international break just totally nullified his opponent aggressive defending calm and composed when on the ball and then the better defending midway through the first half to stop Joe Willock who looked like he was gone to net was absolutely fantastic Uh, Christian Romero just seems to get better and better. He's come on in leaps and bounds under Antonio Conte and I think he's going to get even better. Uh, 
he did a post on Instagram after the game and Kulisewski uh, wrote in the comments in Italian, what a player, I have no words. And I think all Tottenham fans will uh, echo those uh, comments at present. It's just been sensational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the back three, it's, all of them have been so, so good at the moment. I just want to quickly say on Matt Doherty, I've just looked on the Premier League website, no assist. Right. Didn't give it, and I cannot feel like did it take a little deflection or something? I, I honestly, it's like the most clear cut assist going. I can't even think of why he wouldn't, but it, it, um, it must have taken the deflection because I mean, you'd get an assist, say, if you played the simple pass to someone in your own half and then they ran yeah. through all the way. Did you have a dog and get the assist when uh Sonny went to score that goal against Burnley? I can't remember, probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't understand that whatsoever. Um, but yeah, the back three, all very good. Ben Davies, you know, everyone knows that I'm going to always rep Ben Davies because I just think, uh, yeah, he's he's just been so sorry. The, the goals, he doesn't score much, Ben Davies, but like I said earlier, that was a crucial goal. And I think in his own words, he jokingly described it as leaping like a salmon. <laughs> and, it was, and Sonny's ball was perfect. You know, to, to ping that in. When we talk about Harry Kane's dangerous kind of crosses, that was right up there as well. That was one that if it wasn't Davies, someone else was going to deflect that past the keeper. Um, so he was superb. Eric Dyer, organisational, it just makes such a difference. And I think, I'm trying to remember, yes, it was. It was his interception that set Spurs away for the final goal. It was Eric Dyer putting a foot in, winning the ball. Um and Romero, oh, Romero's just class. He's just one of those guys that sometimes you just look at a player and you just know. He might have some little moments that perhaps his youth or inexperience might show through, but he is just such a player. That block from the shot early on, um, that was funny enough because of this different seat I was in. I was slightly towards the south stand. I wasn't too far from the south stand maybe a couple of blocks away. And so that that block was right in front of us. It was so good. It was so – he came from nowhere as well. He wasn't even really in that passage of play. He just came across. Um, and he was just like that throughout. And he's so confident on the ball. I say my wife, because it's quite interesting, having someone alongside you that doesn't normally watch football, you know, and trying to explain the different stuff while working as well, <laughs> while trying to explain to her, like – when Romero would get the ball on the edge of his Spurs box, I was like, watch him now. Watch what he'll do. And obviously she's like, but he's in he's in the like the Newcastle half net. Wait a minute, he's almost in the Newcastle box. I was like, yeah, that's what Conte gives license to his centre-backs, the two on the sides, to do. And Romero, as I know you love, um, really takes the opportunity <laughs> to go forward. He's He's got a bit of everything. He really has. He's a very complete defender. He's not slow. I wouldn't say he's like lightning fast, but he is fast enough to deal with pretty much any opportunity that kind of comes along. Um, I think the only defensive disappointment will be the goal. Um, And I'd say, especially the way he was banging the floor with his fist afterwards, I think Hugo Lloris probably knows that he should have done better with that. I think think there was a big gap, you know, by the side of the wall. It wasn't the greatest kind of uh, coverage around there, but... Yeah, Laurie's got a hand to it. I think he would have wanted to get a stronger hand to that to push it away. But other than that, it's another game where the goals have far outweighed the uh, conceded goals. And like I say, one shot on target. 
that's the defence and the midfield in front of them doing their job. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, I think someone else we need to talk about, uh, Pierre-Emile Hoibieg, he's uh, been getting back to his best in recent weeks and there was a, a rather telling moment in the post-match press conference uh, when Conte basically hailed him. Uh, he mentioned him a bit earlier, talking about him and Benton Kerr, uh, basically they've been playing in a massive way for Tottenham in yeah. midfield. And then the final question was about how good Harry Kane was and Conte ended it by basically saying, also Pierre, no one's asked me about him, but I think in every game he's doing a fantastic job with the ball, without the ball, strong physically. Every player is improving their level and for this reason, Tottenham is going up and up. Hoybieg, last season, ever present in the Premier League under Jose Mourinho, played every single minute uh, in the league, all 38 games. Such a good signing, made an instant impact this season. Maybe hasn't quite reached the same levels, certainly in the first few months. And then it was February time, had a bit of a dip, didn't he? Uh, was he taken off against Wolves after 60 minutes? Or yeah, was that was the game, game he didn't, didn't start, start for the first time as well, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was against Southampton, maybe uh, the following game when he didn't start. I think it was Hooks against Wolves. Didn't start against Southampton. And you're thinking, you know, with potentially Oliver Skip coming back. Would we just be seeing Hoibieg, um on the bench more often than not now? But he's come in. He's been fantastic, really, in recent weeks. Really built up a good partnership with uh, Rodrigo Benson Kerr. I thought he was excellent against Manchester United last month. And uh, I think we're seeing the Hoibieg of last season now. And we've skipped returning to training this week. Conte's got quite a decision on his hands now because can you really drop him present form? No, no, not at all. No, and, and, you know, everyone knows I'm the, probably the biggest Oliver Skip fan going, but I don't think you break up that partnership right now. They're um, Hoibier and Benton Kerr. They're just... They're gelling. They understand where each other have to be on the pitch. And I think I wrote this in my piece today about Benton Kerr. I think his composure is contagious. I think a lot of the the player, you know, if you notice Spurs are playing the ball out of the back a lot at the moment now. They've really gone back to that style of keeping the ball in possession. And I think a lot of that comes because they know they can pass it to Benton Kerr in a tight spot and he'll be fine pretty much 99% of the time. And I think that's spreading to Hoybier as well. Hoybier is cutting down on some of the uh, the passing errors that we've maybe seen in those uh, little periods you spoke about. Um, I just think together they're two intelligent players, ones with know-how. They've played in big games for club and country. Um, obviously, you know, Hoybier has been at Bayern Munich before. He knows what it, you need to do in the big games. We've just said about Benton Kerr playing for Juventus. You know, watching all or nothing the Amazon show about Juventus. <laughs> I just, I just got. It's almost quite funny how we build up kind of how big the pressure is of playing for someone like Tottenham. It's like a slice of what it's like playing at Juventus. At Juventus, you know, it's like it's like a national day of mourning if they lose, kind of thing. It's like such a huge thing, and and I think to have been a player there and, and won three titles, coming to Spurs. I'm not saying it's nothing, but my goodness, you know. You can see why they're dealing with it so well, um, and I think yeah, with Hoybier, he just he's, he trusts the person alongside him. And of course, people are naturally going to say, "Oh, you're you're saying Winks is is pretty rubbish," which isn't the case. I just think 
it just happens to be a pairing that maybe doesn't work quite as well. Um, and that can happen. You can get front pairings like that. You can get central defensive pairings that don't maybe don't quite click as well. But for some reason or another, Benton and Hoybier right now is uh, they're complementing each other really well. And yeah, Skippy coming back this week into training and hopefully uh, Sessignon as well. Don't know whether we'll see them against Villa or whether that will be more like the Brighton game. It depends how how many days they get under their belt this week and, and how slowly they want to push them because uh, you don't you don't want to re-aggravate anything that those two players have currently got going on. Um, but yeah, stick with Benteke and Hoybier because Conte was right to to pick him out because the the go to line for a lot of journalists, especially ones that haven't seen Spurs recently, will be to say, oh, you know. Benton Kerr and Kulisensky coming in. What a difference they've made. Tell us about that. And he spoke about that so much. It's quite right that he should say, well, look at Hoybier as well. You know, he's absolutely starring alongside him and um, maybe not getting the same amount of credit. So no, that, that's good. And that's the right way to deal with it. And, and Hoybier, likewise, I did. Uh, there's mutual respect there. I did put out a piece today with some quotes that he was saying about what a special coach Conte is and, and the way he works and, Spurs are now getting in the flow and going with the flow of how Conte wants them to work. And you've seen it on the pitch. Yeah, definitely. He's been excellent. And hopefully we'll see a lot more of that of the remaining weeks. Just a quick uh, bit on last night's result with Arsenal losing 3-0 at Crystal Palace. Obviously, that's given uh, Spurs fourth position. The goal difference swing crazy. So going into this weekend, Spurs uh, were two behind Arsenal in terms of the goal difference, and now what five five ahead of them, seven goal swing, pulling the five one win, and then Arsenal's three 0 defeat. For me, this weekend Palace, was massive. Uh, Palace deserved that big time. Yeah, there was no fluke. Palace was superb. They were uh, played incredibly well. Uh, I did message one of. Uh, the lad who works with his Tash after the game, I uh, did say, oh, I wasn't going to wind him up because uh, Everton have a game on Wednesday night and I know I will get it in the nick from him if we lose. But I just said to him, don't worry, all the all the big teams uh, lose heavily at Crystal Palace. Obviously, Spurs lost 3-0 there, didn't they? Start of the season. <laughs> Everton lost the other week, 4-0. Uh, so for me, it's going to be really interesting to see how Arsenal react to this. I think Wayne Rooney said it on Monday Night Football as well uh, after the game, basically because Arsenal have a really young squad and they've probably not had a, a defeat like this since the opening weeks of the season. So Arsenal's reaction is going to be key. You're probably looking at the fixtures and thinking, yeah, ideal home game against Brighton. Brighton haven't won since the start of February. So potentially a good game for Arsenal. But then Spurs go to Villa. So Spurs have to keep up the current form. So this weekend, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns in the top four race between now and the final day at Norwich. But I think this weekend could be key as well, just because of the the uh, reaction Arsenal need. Yeah, I agree. And they've obviously got injury problems as well. You know, look, Tierney out potentially for the rest of the season. Um, obviously, Party went off as well uh, yesterday. And it's a funny one. It's one of those where this is a problem with football, isn't it? You can't delight in another team's struggles because it could be your team's struggles the next. So, you know, Spurs, you could look at it in one respect and say Arsenal are starting to have some key players injured, whereas Spurs are starting to get all of their squad back. 
But the way football works, Spurs could lose someone important coming up just as quickly. Um, you're right about this weekend. It's one of those where it's the kind of games that Spurs need to win against Aston Villa. They do. They need to go there and they need to win. Yeah, it's a kind of game where, unfortunately, Spurs are just as capable of losing. <laughs> they really are. It's one where Gerard's got Villa playing in a far better way. You know, he's, he's got them on the up. There's no denying that. They're, they're playing well. Um, I think they've had a couple of iffy results, but before that, obviously, it had a few good games as well. Um, it's not going to be easy at all. It's going to have a um, crowd are going to be behind them as well. And it's going to be a good kind of gauge of how Spurs deal with the pressure of being back in the driving seat. Sometimes it's easier to be the chasing team than it is to be the one that's there, you know? And I think for Spurs, that's, we're going to see that this weekend. We're going to see how they take that on board. You know, as Matt Doherty here, and I think a fair few of the players are saying, at the moment, confidence is absolutely running through them. They feel like they're going to go on the pitch and they're going to score goals whoever they play against. I mean, and that comes from going to the Etihad and scoring three times, going to United and scoring twice there. And, and I can understand that they feel like no defence should be able to keep them out. But... It's all about the whole entire team performance. So it'll be interesting to see where Regulon's back. There's some talk that he failed a late fitness test, which would suggest it's not a long-term thing. Um, I mean, would you switch back? If Regulon's fit, would you switch back? Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think you have I think to. So. The balance, don't you? I think you have to. Yeah. Uh, well, I asked this question to John Vale in the press box, obviously, when you were in the H Club on Sunday. <laughs> All right, um, rubbing it in. Uh, basically, he was saying, yeah, like, you just do, even though Emerson scored, because I think he'll help Doherty out being back on the right as well. Yeah. Just gives Spurs more of a balance. So for me, yeah, uh, if Reggion's fit, he goes in. But Sessignon, uh, Conte says, due to return to training this week as well. So while I wouldn't be rushing Sessignon and Skip no. immediately back into the eleven, I think it gives Spurs a boost over the coming weeks, most definitely. Yeah, I think so. No, it's, it's a big week and, uh, yeah, Villa Park, you know. I mean, Arsenal, let's be honest, they should beat Brighton. And, and Brighton, uh, not quite the team they were of a few months ago. They are properly kind of struggling at the moment, especially for goals. Um, so I think if, if Arsenal don't win that, then they are in a, a proper rut. They're, they've suddenly found themselves in problems because they should be winning that without any issue whatsoever. Um, and then the running is very interesting. <laughs> it really is. There's a lot of games that, you know, you've got to say our favourite expression on paper, Spurs should be looking to go into those games and win and then, you know, They've got some of their tougher games are at home as well. Obviously, Liverpool is away, but at home, they're going to be playing Arsenal and Leicester. Um, they really should be looking at that run and thinking, all right, we can do this. But the execution of it is very different from saying that. Um, now, I'm fascinated to see how it all plays out. I just, I just want them to do it because I just think with no Spurs bias aside or the fact that obviously we, you and I want to be talking about the Champions League next season and reporting on it, I just think how huge it would be for the club and how a lot of the questions about the summer disappear in a moment. You know, they finish top four, 
I think a lot of Kane uh, questions go. I don't think there's a big as big a need for him to leave. I think Conte looks at that and sees that he's a manager of a Champions League team. I think the financial thing aids whatever they want to do in the summer, which, as I say, should be doing anyway, but obviously it boosts that. It just alters the profile of the club hugely and everything's suddenly on and up again. Um, it would It would be in a massively cliched way, it would be a game changer for Tottenham. It really would. Yeah, it's massive. As you mentioned, the fixtures uh, just a minute ago, uh, yesterday Premier League announced the fixtures, the TV fixtures for May, so we'll run through those for you. Saturday, 7th of May, the game against Liverpool at Anfield remains on the same day. However, it is now a 7.45 kickoff on BT Madness. Sport. Utter that is crazy. <laughs> no care for the fans whatsoever. Because does the last train from Lime Street back to Houston go like twenty minutes after kickoff as well? Uh, I'd imagine yeah. probably so. It's it's just that's when it's it's so appalling, you know. And then let's be honest, you know, I saw Charlie Eccleshire tweet about this, and it's quite right. This isn't all on the you know BT Sky or whatever. This is the clubs agree to this as well. You know, that's it's disgrace. It really is. That's such a daft time to play a football match on a Saturday night. Yeah, and if you're planning on staying in Liverpool Saturday night, you will need to pay big money for a hotel. <laughs> uh, so I was ha- having a look earlier and just for like a travel lodge or Premier Inn in the city centre, not far from Lime Street, you're looking at like £200. Even the ones on the outskirts, like 150 it's, well, it's crazy. Also your house, Kisty. That's the only way to do it. I will just go from there. Yeah, I'll be charging a similar fee. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> right, and then, <laughs> and then after the Liverpool game, as expected, Arsenal at home Thursday, May the twelfth, seven forty-five. That's on Sky. Three days later, Burnley travel to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, a midday kickoff, and BT Why? Sport. Why again? Why is it a midday kickoff when they're playing on a Thursday night? I've, I've no idea, but all the Premier League games that weekend are on the Sunday. I think Arsenal are on the Monday. It's just so they can have the FA Cup final as the standalone fixture on the Saturday. Right. Uh, but I mean, in recent season, Premier League games have been played at the same on the same day as the FA Cup. They've just played them either at midday or three o'clock. Yeah. It's not the same kickoff time, yeah. So, obviously, while it's a real pain for Tottenham fans to get to Liverpool on their Saturday, May the seventh, probably even the train what gets from Burnley in time <laughs> to Central London no, on on a true. Sunday for a midday kickoff, just no consideration at all. And then finally, uh, Spurs end the season at Norwich City. That's a 4pm kickoff on Sunday, May the 22nd. As usual, uh, all the games on the final day kick off at the same time. The televised fixtures will be announced uh, in the days leading up to that uh, Sunday. But that final Sunday, I mean, potentially, title race could go down to the wire, top four race, and also relegation. So TV picks are going to be interesting for that day. Definitely need to have Everton fighting for their lives on that last day <laughs> because we can't have an already uh, either safe or relegated Everton playing Arsenal. Is it at 
Everton, the last game? It's at the Emirates. Uh, and our away record <laughs> is terrible. Can't even rely on you for that. That is shocker. Well, I would say one little benefit, if you're going to try and look for anything in those little run of new fixture times, um, Arsenal have got one day less to prepare for the North London derby compared to Spurs. Although Sunday to Thursday isn't probably the, you know, the most energy sapping of gaps. But still, just that one extra day, you never know. The second half, legs, and especially if Arsenal do have a few injuries, it could play its part. But uh, obviously then, I suppose the flip side is Spurs then come out of that and have to go straight to Burnley very quickly. Whereas Arsenal, as you said, get that extra day uh, for their next game. I can't remember what their penultimate game is. I I think they've got Newcastle away on the Monday night. Okay. Not not the easiest. Not the easiest now um, after Spurs have just beaten 5-1. But you know what I mean. It's definitely a different Newcastle team to what it was. And I think, to be fair to them, Sunday was a bit of an aberration for them under Eddie Howe. It was, you know, it was kind of a, a bit of a, a wake-up call for them almost that they're not the finished product at all. But, um, but yeah, yeah, a lot of fixtures for us to get out to. We've got to get there first, though. We've still got April to get through and everything that April is going to bring a hell of a lot of interesting games as well. But just in relation to that Burnley game at home, they could potentially be relegated by then. Yeah. So, I mean, that could help Spurs out. I know it's a quick turnaround and games against Burnley. Yeah. They, they could be relaxed. Sometimes you find yeah, that already exactly. relegated teams just, yeah, have that relaxed air about them. But one thing you can guarantee, Conte will be making sure his players do not take the foot off the gas now. Oh, anyway. Full throttle now between now and May to get far. Liverpool and Burnley, what a week. <laughs> that really is. That could potentially be the decide. Well, it very well could be the deciding week, couldn't it? Yes, I know. Quite frankly, it's it's the last three out of the last four games of the season. So yes, it, it very well should be. But that's that's a huge week. It really is. Right. Should we talk a bit about transfers now? As we've got a bit of transfer news to bring to you. Obviously, yeah. Sam Johnston. West Brom goalkeeper. Uh, I think you mentioned it in your talking points uh, yesterday on the website that Spurs looking to get a deal done for him and look to be leading the race to bring him to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in the summer. Yes. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those where, you know, when we said transfer news there, probably people think, oh, Dybala. <laughs> and I'm probably getting really overexcited. Um it's not quite it's not quite that but what I would say is it's it's a sensible transfer that Spurs are looking to do um you know he's 29 years old England international available on a free um from what I understand Spurs are the favorites to get it done obviously nothing can be sealed and signed until um, I think it's May for any kind of domestic free transfers. But, yeah, from what I understand, Spurs, he's on a, a short list of about three or four names for the, the backup goalkeeping role. And I think Spurs probably are in pole position to, to bring him to Tottenham. And and I do think, I think it's, I've seen, you know, I put the story out yesterday and I think some people were like, oh, this isn't, you know, he's not that good and all this sort of stuff. But I, I actually don't see that. I think he's been pretty solid goalkeeper in the Premier League. You know, you've got to understand as well, you're looking at a player who is playing in a uh, who was a struggling team last, uh, you know, when they're in the Premier League, and 
Dave, you know, dropping away from promotion, I think, this season as well. So he can only do what he can do, and he probably is facing a lot more shots than most goalkeepers have to deal with as well. And to still have got himself into the England reckoning, I think I think he's done very well. Um, and in terms of Spurs, obviously makes it very unlikely that Galini would be staying in the summer. Um and so what you're doing is you're swapping a, a foreign player for a homegrown player, which obviously we very well know affects that squad and how they can look at and who they can look at in the summer. I just think it's a bit of a no-brainer. I think you've got a free transfer. He's not going to demand the biggest wages in the world. He'll essentially be kind of on trial next season in a way in the cup games and, and maybe some of the European games. It depends. If they're in the Champions League, it, it changes a lot. It's no longer the let's play the backup keeper kind of competition. But essentially, in any game he plays, he'll be he'll be judged, and and they'll have a look at him and say, "Look, Loris's deal is is up in 2024. Could this be the man that takes over?" Because 29, you know, I think sometimes we look at football and think like, "Oh, yeah, if they're not 21, they're not worth buying," kind of thing. And 29 as a goalkeeper is nothing. You know, he's probably got another five, six years at the top in him. Um, so yeah, he, he's got to prove really that he could be the man to take over from Loris. I think it's a no-brainer. I think him, Lloris, and Brandon Austin, let's say, with his new deal as the three goalkeepers, I think you're quite nicely set there for a nice array of keepers of different varying degrees of experience. Um, so, yeah, hopefully Spurs will get that done. Um, and I think that's that's an early building block kind of sorted and not worried about. And then also means they don't have to pay the 12 million or so for Galini, which then you put elsewhere because, as I keep trying to remind people, don't forget, if they're going to sign Romero and Kulusevski, which, let's be honest, they are, you're looking at £65 million worth of money that's immediately got to go out this summer. So I know we talk about all the money that's got to go towards a rebuild. Um, I saw someone tell me the other day it would be disappointing if Spurs don't sign, uh, spend £300 million this summer. Which I thought, <laughs> was like, okay, right, okay. You've, you've set your bar at a certain level. Um no doubt went off to then go and play FIFA that evening on his computer or on his uh, PlayStation. But, uh, yeah, I don't think we'll be seeing 300 million. That would be incredible, and it would be probably the greatest transfer window we've ever covered. Um, but, yes, you do have to take into account that 65 million or so is going to very quickly have to come out because they're not going to hang about with Kulisevsky. They're not. There's no point. I think the deal gets more expensive than they do it in a year's time. I can't see why you hang around you get that man he is superb bring him in now Romero same uh, well that that's going to get done anyway there's no there's no extension on that um, but yeah 65 million out of the pot um, people keep asking me you know but was that budgeted for last season or not I don't really think that's the way football clubs work in terms of that I think they would have looked to do what they could at the time and then know that in the future that that's what's going to come out as well I think that's the way more they look at it. Um, but, yeah, people are going to expect more transfers. I think they'll look at more free transfers as well. And I know that's not the sexy thing to do, and I not, know that's not what's going to excite people. But, hey, if it was a free transfer and it was Paolo Dybala, I think everyone would change their mind. You know, I think Paratici likes to look at those free transfers or the loan-to-buy deals. And, hey... Spurs bring in some loan-to-buy deals of the quality of Kulusevski and Romero for next season. I, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining about that, surely. You know, it's just 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 bring in the right players. They don't have to be £300 million worth of players. They just have to be the right players. 
I think January showed everyone you don't have to spend mega amounts for it to be a successful window. Benton Kerr, Klesiewski, bargain signings. Tongi on them belly, 60 million GLSL, mm-hmm. so a lot of money. Didn't work out. For me, Sam Johnston will be a very smart and shrewd signing. Premier League experience, England international. His uh, goalkeepers get better with age, peak a lot later, can go on a lot longer. And for someone who's had that experience of playing in the top flight with West Brom, did really well when he was at Aston Villa as well. For a second choice keeper on a free transfer, I don't think you can have any grumbles at all. And as you were mentioning, it's how Paratici operates. If you look at his previous transfer windows at Juventus, always like to sign plays early, whether it's a free transfer or alone with an option to buy. So, yeah, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that. And I think really good signing if Spurs can get him over the line. I think someone else... Better with age, just out of interest. Because that would be really helpful. (laughs) 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 Certainly I could do getting a lot better. That would be very, very helpful. We'll have to wait and see. I don't know if some readers will agree with that. I don't know. (laughs) We'll have to ask him in about five or ten years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, one Tottenham player I think we need to mention who had a very memorable weekend, Cameron Carter, because obviously he's a, on loan at Celtic at the moment, went on a season-long loan deal. He's chipped in with a, a few goals from already. They're top of the Scottish table after losing the league to Rangers last year. Carter Vickers went and scored the winner in the Old Firm derby at Ibrox as Celtic won 2-1. That gives them a six-point lead over Rangers. And you're thinking now, with what remains of the season, that's a potential title-deciding winning goal. So Celtic fans have made the feelings clear about wanting to keep Carter because of the club uh, beyond this season. Celtic do have a clause in the loan deal to buy him on a permanent basis. Uh, We believe that's around £6 Six million could potentially rise to ten million uh, with potential add-ons. So, providing of course that he does make the move to Celtic, and now there's been reports of other Premier League clubs looking at him, then that will give Spurs a transfer boost and give more money for Paratici and Conte to spend. Yeah, yeah, and then fair play to Cameron Carter Vickers because he gets a lot of flack, you know. I, I, sometimes when we do our loan roundups, or even the other day when I tweeted about him scoring the winner in the thing, I, I got some people like, "I don't care," I don't need things like that. Good, sell him, and all this sort of stuff. But it's like you've got to, have, you've got to just take your hat off to the guy. A bit like we were saying about Matt Doherty, like working hard by himself. That's all Cameron Carter Vickers has done. He's just worked hard. He's gone away wherever Spurs have sent him. He's had, I think this is his sixth loan deal, isn't it? And it's like seventh. It's his it's seventh, seventh loan deal. Seventh. Yeah. And he's just gone away, put his head down, and a lot of them, certainly as he's developed and mature, you know, his last few loans, they've raved about him. Luton, they loved it. He essentially was one of the key elements. I'm saying essentially a lot today. I don't know why. It seems to be my buzzword. But he was like a key pillar of keeping Luton up on that loan. And now he's gone to Celtic. And like you say, exactly right, the fans adore him up there. Um, and... Uh, the, the coach as well, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, Angela, Angela Kulu, Angela Ange Postacoglu. Ange Postacoglu, that's it. Postacoglu, I think, Postacoglu. I think that's right. Yeah. There you go. 
the latest in a long line of Alistair Golden murders, people's <laughs> names, pronunciation game. Um, he raves, man. He just because uh, there's this is a thing. Everyone was saying that Cameron Carter Vickers is is rubbish. He's nothing. He's a substandard player. Premier League teams want to buy him. Celtic are going to have to beat the off competition from Premier League clubs to sign Cameron Carter Vickers. We've got to understand this. Uh, you know, people might have said the same about Harry Kane when he was young and going out on all these loans. He's never going to be a Tottenham player. He's never going to do this. It's about what experiences you have on those loans and how it helps you develop. You know, I remember Potch saying at one point that Cameron Carter Vickers had the potential to be one of the best young defenders in England. You know, you don't have people say that about you if you're like some donkey that is just washed up by fluke in a team. Um, he's been brilliant at Celtic. He's been so good. And to score a winner in Old Firm Derby is a ridiculous... Like, essentially, you get legend status pretty much already with that. Um, and yeah, like you say, 6 million kind of up front with rising to 10 million. I think the deal will get done. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. I think why wouldn't... Carter Vickers want to stay there. He's he's having a time of his life. It, it's brilliant, and and he'll have seen you know players like Van Dyke and uh, Wanyama. I think I tried. There's loads of players that have gone on from Celtic and then gone to to other clubs. Um, who's the young lad? Um, is, it, is he at Brentford? Oh my goodness, Norwegian plays centre back. Christopher. Asia, oh, yeah. Asia, that's it. Yeah, yeah. He was at Celtic as well, wasn't he? And then there's like yeah. this. It's not to call them a stepping stone club, but it. What I'm saying is, it's a club where you can play in big games and you can show your talent. And then, yeah, I guess, I guess in a way, it's a stepping stone. But it's not a stepping stone in terms of the club. It's more a stepping stone, I guess, in terms of the league, because the Scottish league is not. It's the highest, you know. It's not the greatest thing, but Cardiff has gone there. He's already won a trophy. Hasn't he? He's already uh, he's already won silverware, and you know he could be a title winner, likely to be a title winner. I think by the end of this season, um, fair play to him. And if he goes there, he will go there. I'd hope with the best wishes of Tottenham fans, and like you say, money that goes towards signing new players for Tottenham. It's a win-win for everyone, and he cost Tottenham nothing. He came through their academy, one of their own. And fair play to him. I hope he goes on to have a terrific career because uh, I've interviewed him actually on a pre-season tour um, a couple of times. He's a very level-headed, mature guy um, and he will he takes everything that comes. I think that's, with all these loans, that's what happens, isn't it? You have to be adaptable. You have to quickly kind of just crack on. And uh, yeah, that was great to see that. I was I was walking through the tunnel club on the final whistle uh, when <laughs> I saw it on the tellies in there. I think I'll tell you what, there's so many TV screens within that stadium. That was one of the, probably the biggest things I took away from Sunday It's how huge that stadium is. I mean, we've, we've got to see fair bits of it. I've done the tour as well. But I don't think you just realise how many levels, how many rooms there are in that building. Honestly, you could spend the day just wandering around, getting lost probably in that building. It's... You know, I, I know, I know the owners, the Nick, Daniel Levy, all of that will get a lot of flack for what's happened on the pitch, and I think rightly so in some circumstances. But the legacy of that stadium, it's just ridiculous. It's uh, I must say that, like taking the girls there for the first time, they were a bit like, "But this is so nice." But the rest of the area seems quite old, and <laughs> all that. I was like, "Yeah, well, that's that's kind of the part of the future is that." 
hopefully the rest of the community will also kind of be improved and regenerated and and that's what the hope is that the stadium is the kicker that gets everything going and uh you know the 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 Tottenham area can kind of have a bit of a lift I think is what it, it what it needs you know there's a don't get me wrong there's lots of very nice places in Tottenham and lo- lots of lovely people there I've spoken to many of them a lot of businesses that I've been in there and spoken to before when the stadium was getting built but I think we all agree it, regeneration would be a good thing bringing lots of jobs and things like that to that that area and uh, and hopefully yeah that will be the stadium's legacy as well Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guests Hot Tottenham. Plenty to discuss following the 5-1 win over Newcastle, uh, Arsenal losing 3-0 at Crystal Palace, the latest fixtures for me, and then also a bit about transfers for next season. So as ever, just keep with us at London for all your latest Tottenham news.